Rob and Cindy are going to stay up uh, for our reading. Um, it's quite a long reading, Psalm 35, and uh, for that reason, even getting it on lots of pages, the font's quite small, I'll show you that. So you might want to look it up in the Church Bibles if that's small for you. I'll just go back to the title for a moment. But they'll read it in different chunks, and I'll just make a one-sentence comment on each one, and, and then we'll continue. It seems to me a really great passage to look at with this theme of when God seems silent. It's a really important subject. If we're going to look at staying on track, keeping going with our faith, then I'm really glad to have this title, When God Seems Silent, because it applies to some of us right now. Other of us can trace it back in our story, and for others of us, it will be part of our story. And for some, when God seems silent is a time when people have walked away. And, and for others, it's a time when some people have just drifted away. And for others, it's a time when... Uh, somehow people have found a way of keeping going with their faith. And I think Psalm 35 has got something all the way through it of this theme of when God seems silent. So first five verses, please. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Right, you can see straight away the kind of theme. It's not the most pleasant of themes. We pick verses for people when they become uh, members. We very rarely pick anything from Psalm 35. You know, so we're not going to pick, you know, may they, those who plot my ruin be turned in dismay. Here you are, here's a certificate. We very rarely do that. But in terms of God seeming silent, verse 3 is helpful here and gives us something of the theme. Say to me, I'm waiting to hear from you. Say to me, I'm your salvation. You may be experiencing silence from God right now in terms of something to do with work, something to do with family, something to do with health or or relationships. Say to me, I'm I'm waiting to hear from you. Next verses. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net from me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. So if you just notice verse 9 there, and this is something this psalmist, David, makes a, a promise a couple of times. He makes a promise that if I do hear from you, when I do hear from you, then I'm going to give you thanks. So I'm in this middle bit where you're silent. But when that does happen, my soul will rejoice and I will delight. Verse 18 says something similar when, when we get there. Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They, re- they repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. 
So there's a bit of silence here from, uh, for the psalmist at the bottom of 13 and 14. When my prayers returned to me un- unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. There's a bit of irony here because the whole reason he's writing this psalm is because some people are accusing him of something he doesn't know what he's even done and he needs to hear from God and he refers back to a time when he prayed for them in their moment of need. And when he prayed for them and their prayers weren't answered, then he still went back to God with mourning and keeping going as though for a friend or a brother. And now they're against him. How unfair is that? How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and say, aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it. You can see the silence of God for the psalmist, or the apparent silence of God in the first bit of of that the top of the page there how long lord will you look on he hasn't been asking this for a short time he's been asking it for a long time and then the promise i will give you thanks in the great assembly among the throngs i will praise you when i do hear from you i'm going to give you all thanks and glory last bit thanks lord you have seen this do not be silent do not be far from me awake and rise to my defense contend for me my god and lord Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God, and do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them think, aha, just what we wanted, or say, we have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises, all day long. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Cindy, very much. You can see it in the last uh, bit there, even in the first verse. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Many of us will have experienced that. I guess I need to say as well at the start, there, there are different sorts of silence that we experience from God, and not all of them are bad silence, and not all of them are to the same degree of pressure or degree of urgency or they appear like our faith will depend on it. Some of it might even be positive. Rob didn't say this, but somebody who leads worship here in our church once, when they handed over to me, I don't think any of you noticed this, but I noticed it. Maybe I'm oversensitive. But they, they, we just had this intimate time of worship with the Lord, singing worship, and then they said, and now, Lord, this is in loud prayer to all of us, before Ken comes to speak to us, let's just all enjoy a moment of silence with the Lord. <laughs> and, and you all went, yes, yeah, yeah, great. And I'm thinking... And that's surely not what he meant, but maybe, maybe it was. But then, then I, I hear those things sensitively when others of you don't. So I heard it when somebody introduced, before King comes to speak to us, let's just sing, there must be more than this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm th- I, th- I see it in that as well. And I know that there is more than this. And, and so that isn't the point of what I should have been taking from it. There's a type of silence where it's absolutely desperate where we really must hear from God, where everything depends on it. We kind of know that we're in trouble if we don't hear from God. We really will go off track 
if we don't hear from God in those circumstances. <clears throat> There's a kind of silence that you could describe as like mild frustration. It'd be quite helpful if God spoke, but it's not going to shake my faith either way. Um, that's probably not what this psalm is about and not what our subject is about. But it might be in the sense of if we settle for kind of not hearing from God and that being the norm, then we might survive for a while, but that isn't how we're built or wired. And so in the end, that might lead us to stumble and to not stay on track. And I guess there's a couple type of silence from God where you're just intellectually interested in why God doesn't seem to speak and why he's sometimes silent to us. That isn't really what this is about either. Our theme is about the danger of not staying on track and whilst there are lessons that we can draw out from those other mild and less significant things, it's really about this really matters to us. We really need to hear from God. Sometimes when you read the Psalms, they're just very general, and you can kind of put no context to it whatsoever, and that's helpful when we read those, and, and they're meaningful uh, to us in a whole variety of ways. Sometimes there's a specific context, and just before the psalm it says, and this happened, and this refers to when David did this, or whatever, and you can see the context and go back to other bits of the Bible and relate it that way. Sometimes they're in a collection of psalms where there is a context to them, so there's something called the Psalms of Ascents. And all of those psalms are for going up to the temple for the big festivals. This psalm is none of those. It doesn't have a specific context, as in one spelt out at the beginning. But you can see there's a context. There's a particular reason he's writing this, David. He needs to hear from God. He's being accused. He doesn't know why. And it's not working out. And he hasn't just done this for a day or two. He's desperate to hear from God and to hear something helpful. That might not be our context, but nevertheless, there are things in this for us for a whole variety of different sorts of silence, whenever silence comes up. So, say to me, I am your salvation, is one example that we picked up. When my prayers returned unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother, these people who are now turning against him, even though he doesn't know what he's done. How long, O oh Lord, will you look on, verse 17. And then specifically the silence mentioned. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. He needs to hear from God because his circumstances are so dire. He describes how his enemies have dug pits and set nets to trap him. He uses military language right at the beginning. He piles up military images, which is something David would understand. And without any reason to do so, they've accused him. And something, he just doesn't know how to get out of this without hearing from God. And he makes this promise. It's a promise I think I've made in prayers before as well. Lord, when you answer this, we will give you all thanks and glory because we can't see any way out of it. So when you do answer it, it's all down to you and, and we will thank you. He will know that his enemy's ruin is a direct result of the Lord's actions rather than anything he's done. I've been thinking about this and I think what he does is he makes a kind of know and tell promise and, and he looks either side of silence. Let me explain that a little bit. So he, he, he's a praying to God. And so in praying to God, there's already a relationship there. And he makes a promise, he's standing in silence at the moment, but he makes a promise the other side of silence that he'll know God again and he'll give him thanks. 
So he's standing in a place of silence, but he's looking back and he's looking forward to a situation where that won't always be the case. And I, I find that helpful, and I find it a good way of looking at it. Um, it's a particularly helpful way of looking at it if you're a numerical person and you've picked up the significance of today's date. Paul, our administrator, pointed this out to me, but you may know it already. Today is palindromic Sunday, if you're into those sorts of things. I'll take out the dashes, and it completely works backwards and forwards as a date, including the century. See, so 0202-2020, you read it backwards, 0202 2020 is the same. And that's a very, very rare thing. So I um, asked some of my fellow ministers on social media, how would they use that? Um, Were they going to use it on a Sunday? And a number of them said, I am now, was their answer. (coughs) Now that I'd I'd mentioned it. Um, And a whole bunch of different answers uh, came up. Some thought that uh, you should allow somebody with a palindromic name to speak. So Anna could speak, for example, or Bob could speak. Um, that, that would be fine. Some thought um, you should arrive in a Toyota, which is palindromic, which I think is good. I hadn't seen that, if you include the uh in the word Toyota. Um, but others had the sort of thought, I think, and I think of when I think of this uh, psalm. Somebody said this, as we look back, we see all that God has done for us in Christ. As we look forward, we see all that he's promised And because God has done it, we can have confidence that he will do it again. Backwards and forwards, God is the same. That's pretty good, isn't it? One of my friends said that. Another friend said this. There's something in our wiring for noticing and appreciating beauty and order and pattern and recognition in creation, echoing a creator who loves beauty, order and colour and intricacy as well as what appears messy and chaotic. We're made to wonder. I think what this psalmist does is he does stand in the middle and he recognises a promise either side that it's going to be the same. And that's maybe a helpful way of us dealing with times when God appears silent. What's really important is that he's active. He's not passive in this difficult time. He's going to work at it. And the psalm itself isn't a short psalm. It isn't a one-day psalm. It's one he's clearly gone on saying how long about. So he's gone on praying this for a period of time. And, and so he's working at it. He's not settling for the status quo. I was interested to read recently of the opera singer Andrea Bocelli, who lost his sight in a sporting injury age 12. And... At that time, he wasn't a believer at all. He would say he was agnostic. But he has since written about his faith a number of times, including the idea that you have to work at it. He was asked what he would say to his teenage self. And he said, you have to work at your faith. He says this. As a young boy, I was agnostic. The young Andrea would probably not understand that today. I believe in faith and great values. Over the years, I've come to believe that faith cannot be acquired effortlessly, just as any other discipline. It requires commitment, perseverance, and sacrifice. To be committed to faith means we need to comply with simple deeds that may even appear tedious. If we want to improve our faith, we have to submit to prayer, 
the young Andre would not have understood this at the time. The young Andrea used to say he was agnostic, but that was just a ploy to avoid the real issue. In adulthood, some pressing existential questions cropped up. Reading a small and wonderful book by Tolstoy, A Confession, later followed by his other masterpieces, helped me a lot along the path of faith. To believe that life is determined by chance is not only unsuitable, but illogical and not very sensible. The basic rationale that allows us to take the right path when reaching the first fundamental crossroads is to believe or not to believe. To my mind, this is a choice and there is no alternative. What he's describing there is needing to work at it. And so the whole psalm is working at it with somebody he kind of knows, looking back to times when he knows things. I think this is a, we normally say through thick and thin, but I think this is a through thin and thick thing. One of the speaking things I've had the privilege of doing this year in this role for the denomination is speaking at the outdoor centres and residential centres like CYE. CYE is a local centre, if you don't know it, uh, an activity centre based on a whole range of uh, water sports and other activities, wider range of other activities um, these days. But it's also a whole range of other Christian out- outdoor and Christian residential and conference centres was, was where I was speaking. So if you've been to those sorts of places you might know uh, the sort of places I'm talking about. Ashburnham, Lee Abbey, a whole range of different places. 140 or so are part of this group. We talk to them about the fact that they're trying to cultivate, really, what some Celtic Christians used to to call thin places. Those places where God's presence seems more accessible, where we enjoy a greater degree of awareness of his presence, where prayer has been invested over many generations, where heaven and earth seems to touch. We recognised across this conference that across the full range of residential centres, you walk around the lake at Ashburnham or you're doing some activity at sea um, just off Bosom, and, and it's a thin place in that sense. That's what we're praying for it to be. But if that's true, if there are thin places then there are also fat places, aren't there? There are also thick places. And, and God is there too. And in those thick places, it's harder to recognise and hear from God. It's harder to sense his presence. It's a time when we are living with what appears to be silence. Now, I know there's a theology to this, that God is there in all of those places. God is omnipresent. Jesus promises to be with us always. He comes with us by his spirit and indwells with us. It's not the reality of God with us. It's our sense of the reality of God with us that is a thin place. And in those thick places, what we can do is we can hang on to the reality that we knew to be true in the thin places. So when God is or appears to be silent, we remember what God was like when he spoke to us. And we remember those eternal truths and hold on to them. We're called to remember the lessons learned and the assurance given in the thin places such that we carry them into the thick places. Our God is Lord of there too. And also this, we are called to be the presence of God in the thick places, such that they're just a little bit thinner for those around us, that they see something of God in those places too. Which means to me this, that we are not alone in the journey when God appears to be silent. 
there are other people around too. And we're called to be those people. And the only reason we have this psalm as some help is because somebody wrote it down to help others on the journey too. I've been thinking about this and thinking, so how how do we pray into this? How do we pray for for people for whom this is their issue right now and for those of us giving thanks because it has been our issue and for those who it's their store away message? And some of it is that we're not alone. So we take lessons from others. Ellen, in one of the other messages in this series, talked about the role of other Christians in staying on track. Um, And we can think about the role of other Christians who are not currently experiencing God to be silent. Sometimes it's like we just need to borrow other people's faith a bit and we need to borrow their prayers. And it's it's sometimes easier to just pray, Lord, let that person pray and you answer their prayers. I've got enough faith for that. You can challenge me on the logistics of and how that actually works. But I think sometimes we take strength from others in, in all of that. I also have just a few closing thoughts that might help us when we're, when we're just trying to stay on track. The first is this. It's easy to confuse silence with absence. Easy to confuse not hearing from God with God not being there. Maybe it's the case that the noise is there from God, but we need to pause long enough to hear it. This psalm involves a journey and involves some time. The young people are making a noise out there at the moment, but if you're concentrating on my voice, you, you, you can't quite hear that. Unless you're sitting over there, then you can't help but hear it. But, but there is a dialogue going on, but you have to kind of tune into it. Maybe it's some of that. We shouldn't confuse silence with absence. Maybe we shouldn't also confuse silence with subtle. So many times, God is deliberately subtle. If he wasn't subtle, then the creator God of the universe would be so obvious we would have no free will but to to be following him. And and those times will come when everybody will see him and, and the reality of God. But for now, he speaks in subtle ways. So he speaks through his word, including and maybe especially the words of Jesus. He speaks in his world, and and that world speaks to us. He speaks to others, and we need that, as I've said. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks to us with prompts and and dreams and and visions and, and messages. He speaks to us by giving us assurance, blessed assurance, as we sung, and, and peace. He speaks to us in a whole variety of ways. We shouldn't confuse silence with subtle. We should wait long enough in the silence to pick up on the subtle. And we certainly shouldn't confuse silence with uninterested. Sometimes he's silent because he's interested and he's wanting to prayerfully engage, us to prayerfully engage with him. And then he'll prompt us to the next move. What I want to say to all of us, whatever our experience of silence, apparent silence from God has been or will be, is that we have enough to go on. And we have enough to go on to keep going in our faith too. The psalmist ends this way, and 
It's such a shocking ending, but that often happens in the psalm. So you've had this difficult journey, and then it ends with, my tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. And you read the psalm, and you go, okay, I read all the other verses. How did you get there at the end? Show me the secret of how you got to that last bit. And we're not told the secret, but maybe, maybe the journey is part of the secret. Maybe being honest with God about our situation, hanging on to his promises and our experience of his presence in the past is how we get to, my tongue will proclaim, maybe he's not even there yet, your righteousness and your praises all day long. We have a couple of songs to close and the band are going to come and and join us now. But I just want to want us to use those two songs. Rob was saying this too before we started as a prompt for people for whom this is real for you today. God is, seems to be silent. And so maybe there's something there you can hold on to. Or maybe there's a particular prayer that you need to be praying whilst other people are singing. Other people are singing and that, that we're borrowing their faith. And maybe we're not singing the words, we're relying on other people to, whilst we pray the reality of this for ourselves. We stand in one particular place, we recognise the truth either side and we hold on to that truth to come, that he's the same as he was there. Would you stand with me, please? What are the two songs, Rob? Remind me of those. Okay, so we're going to sing, so you know what's coming up, the Lord's my shepherd and oceans, you, you call me out. So, so, so we have that idea of trusting in him in all circumstances. You don't need to say that if it's all going well. Obviously, you're trusting him. If you're very aware of his presence, obviously, you're trusting him. It's a, it's a pledge in the seemingly more silent times, too. And we're recognising God calling us out to all circumstances. Let's pray. So, Lord... I dare to pray that because of something, something somewhere in this that is from you, that some people will stay on track when God seems silent. That's the whole purpose of this. So would you give us something for those rainy days? And if those rainy days are today, for anybody here, then may this last bit of act of worship this morning be poignant, powerful and meaningful. Come and give us your peace and your presence. Fill us again with your spirit so that we can have enough to go on and to go on.